from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 667, ML Ops with guest Damian Brady. Recorded Wednesday, November 6th, 2019. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. Still recording here at Ignite in Orlando, and I'm sitting with Damian Brady, who's a senior cloud advocate specializing in DevOps and ML ops, and based in Australia, where I just was for... Uh, for NDC Sydney. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thanks and for I, having me. And I got to meet your little boy, too. You did. We yeah, got he along just you. fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, great. I'm a good uncle. You are. <laughs> he loved it. And you were just trying to get some breakfast, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you a break now and go take him for a walk, and we'll, we looked at the cars. Very much appreciated. Yeah, I had <laughs> half a cold breakfast, which is more than usual. Yeah, you know, I, I realized I learned to eat faster once I had little kids, yeah, right? You're absolutely. smelling each other. You're smelling off your spouse just trying to get through the meal. Uh, this everybody's heard the DevOps story. What's ML Ops? So this is kind of the term that's come up. It's the agreed term, I guess, in the industry for DevOps for machine learning. Okay. I actually kind of prefer DevOps for machine learning, but ML Ops seems to be what people have landed on. It's shorter. Um, it's shorter, yeah. And from a, I guess, from a DevOps perspective, which is you know my background. Uh, I've always been a developer, so taking the dev part out of DevOps and adding it to MLOps <laughs> makes, me, <laughs> makes me a little bit nervous, probably. Um, I, I think the, the only danger, I guess, with, with using MLOps as the term is that um, people stop at the operationalization of machine learning. So, the, all of the DevOps stuff that happens beforehand, you know, everything from idea to you know, producing something and putting it into production, it's just the putting it into production thing that people focus on, and there's a lot more to that That's, process. Yeah, than because that. it's the same in DevOps. It's then instrumenting and feeding back into the dev cycle again, right? Yeah. This is supposed to be cyclic. Absolutely. And I would imagine machine learning should be cyclic too, right? Like you, after you get a model done and you're running against it, I presume you keep tuning it. Yeah, ideally. And I mean, it does depend on the situation. Um, and if you expand that a little bit to data science, some of those data science projects are here's a whole lot of data we want to report out of this and it's a once-off, right? We right. want this report once to, to tell us something. But machine learning, I mean, in a lot of cases, the predictive model or the model that you create at the other end, that's a thing that you will use in an application or in another piece of software. Mm -hmm. And just like code that you put into production or other applications you put into production, it can get stale, um, sure. especially with machine learning. I think the best way of like providing an example is something like a recommendations engine. Right. And that is obviously going to get stale as new products come out or new yeah, movies I come out. I would always think that a recommendation engine should be taking the latest sales and constantly feeding back into the model. Like that, yeah. to me, seems self-evident. Yes, definitely. Where I would don't always, know. Yeah, I don't know if you actually do it that way, but I, I would think you did just because that's how you built it in the first place. Yes, exactly. And so that repeatable process of being able to take that new data run it through a pipeline or a training pipeline or something mm -hmm. like that and end up with a better model that provides more value 
which especially is picking up on a new product coming in stack and being popular. Yes. And so that you, it, it tends to naturally filter into that. So yeah, exactly. That's a great, that's a great, and I would say somewhat obvious scenario mm-hmm. of a continuously improving machine learning model. Yes. Although what's this, that actual mechanism look like? Are you actually reconstituting the model, like taking the new data set, rerunning everything, or is it, can you actually additively uh, you can you know, modify a model. Yeah, you can. I mean, you can add another layer potentially. Mm-hmm. So keep what you already have and use kind of transfer learning to just tune that last kind of layer. Right. Um, which would speed things up for sure. But in some cases, you may need to do a complete retrain. So yeah. one of the, just to jump straight back into the Azure stuff, one of the Azure machine learning um, tools that they have is AutoML. Right. And that's a, a it's a kind of a magic, amazing product where you kind of you pointed a whole bunch of data and you give it some thresholds around what types of algorithms, what types of problem, what thresholds for um, hyperparameters that you want to tune and things like that, and it will automatically just go through and start in parallel training it using a couple of different um, algorithms and hyperparameters, and it'll automatically tune and find the best solution, I guess, or the most mm-hmm. accurate solution at the end of it. At the end of that process, you end up with a model, and then that model can go into production, and um, while it's in production, the production data that's getting fed through that model can be saved to a separate data set. Interesting. And then there's this uh, technique they use called data drift, or um, a tool called data drift, which will compare the training data set with the production data set. Right. And if it drifts beyond a certain amount- A couple of percentage points. Something like that, yeah. Right. Um, And you can set that threshold. Um, it will run through that, that auto ML. And some of the stuff they're working on is um, the ability to train at different levels. So either just retrain with the existing model and hyperparameters and stuff with that new data, mm-hmm. just to kind of retune the data, retune the hyperparameters and do a little bit more work, or just do a complete retune and find out what the best algorithm is now. Right. And then compare that new model that's been produced against the old model against the new data. When I, and when I think DevOps here and cloud, so that I can just basically hire resources as necessary, yeah. the idea that I would see my production model is drifting and just kick off a process in the cloud to take this updated data set, render a whole new machine learning model, and then then run it A-B, yes. right? Yeah. Or run it in parallel. So here's what we're still... So we're going to keep recommending on the old model right now, but we're going to start looking at recommendations and say, well, how often are we seeing this different? And at some point go, okay, swap. Yep. So even for me, who comes from a can you know an e-commerce background where we don't want to be even down for a minute, mm-hmm. we could do this and just yeah. swap new models in on a routine basis. Even if it takes a couple of hours to generate it, who who cares? Yeah, it's it's not affecting current sales while it's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And then that is kind of where DevOps, I think, really shines mm-hmm. is that that deployment story of you know you've created this artifact based on whatever it is. In this case, we're just doing a training run. We created an artifact that we think is going to deliver more value. And so we roll it out the same way as we'd roll out any other piece of software. We do it with maybe a canary deployment, maybe A-B testing. Right. Maybe we just do you know, a, a gradual geographic rollout and find out whether those people in, those, in the new region have better performance or better value, I guess. And we do it exactly the same way as we do our software, sure. ideally. Well, I, I would almost argue we do this better than, to, you know, the idea of hypothesis around software for features and so forth is somewhat innovative. Mm. But in data science, I think it's the norm. 
we're always speculating that this is what the customer actually wants. And so we build a set of, of, of uh, experiments to test it. Yeah, experimentation-driven development or mm-hmm. hypothesis-driven development. I was having a conversation with another attendee at Ignite mm-hmm. this week who was saying that um, they were basically asking the question, so when we deploy a piece of software, it's generally pretty easy to work out whether you've deployed something that's broken, right? <laughs> I mean, you've got- I mean, the customer will tell you, presumably you have feedback mechanisms that are j- spitting errors out. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But it's not always, especially with a machine learned model, like right. with a predictive model, it might take some period of time before you can work out whether it's actually performing better than the old one. Yes. I mean, it's not an instant, oh, hey, our performance has gone- well, how, yeah. How would you know if a recommendation engine was working? Well, how many times do people pick something from the recommendation exactly. engine? Well, it's never going to be 100% anyway. So, what is good and bad in that scenario? Yep. And I guess the good and bad depends on what your target is. And you almost kind of start to get back into marketing when this happens as sure. well. Like, what does the funnel look like with this new model? Yeah. Are people clicking through more than the previous one? Mm-hmm. What are the um, side effects of people clicking through? Right. I mean, if people are clicking through the recommendations more often, but buying those recommendations less, that's not potentially yeah, valuable. That's not actually good, right? Yeah. In the end, it, we are trying to make a sale here. and there. Are, but there's also other forces in effect too, right? If the process of these new updates has slowed down the site, there's plenty of evidence that shows that slower sites sell less too. Yes, so, yeah. you know, you'd have to look at this in the overall matrix of a, of a given product to really have a good judgment as to yep. what was changing. Things. And that's quite often overlooked, I think, as well, is things like the performance. Um so, there's a few, I mean, if anybody's played with um, customvision.ai, which is the kind of, um, the co- one of the cognitive services that allows you to kind of upload your own photos or your own pictures, mm-hmm. classify them yourself, and then do some training. And traditionally, training like that might require thousands and thousands of images. Sure. You can probably get away with 40, 50 and get a really good model because it uses transfer learning. Um the domain or the base image or the base model that you use in that, you can choose from a different uh, from a few different ones. There are full ones and there are compact ones. And right. the compact ones are smaller and will run faster. And they don't necessarily perform worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably not going to be as accurate with, you know, huge numbers of, of inputs and things like that. But, right. But those ones may be much more valuable, even if they're slightly more accurate, because they run really fast. Like, these can run on a mobile phone, whereas the larger, deeper ones probably can't. Yeah. And that's valuable as well. Bill, being able to do that computation at the edge in the location where you need it. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. that's a special thing all by itself. Yeah. I think there's been a drive in DevOps in general as well to focus a little bit more on customer value. So, Mm uh, Gene Kim's about to actually he probably just released when when this episode goes out. Just I've already, released. I've already published the show. You have By the time we've published show. this show, I've already done the show with Gene Kim. While we're recording this, I haven't done the show. It's just scheduled. Right. Okay. <laughs> More DevOps stuff. More DevOps stuff. Yeah, yeah the Unicorn Project. That's called. right. Yeah, which is a fantastic book. Um, and one of them, one of the uh, five ideals that he talks about, or the last one, the fifth ideal is mm-hmm. customer focus. Yes. And so, I think there's been a bit of more of a drive in DevOps in general to focus on that, that absolute end product. I mean, right. the, all of the stuff before that is just a means to get to, to, to customer value. To customer value. And the, the Microsoft definition of DevOps, like value is the most important word in, mm-hmm. that, um, in that definition. So, if you can focus on that, 
you know, as long as you can define and test what valuable is mm-hmm. in a production system, then that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah, and sometimes the customer has to tell you what's valuable ultimately too. Right? Yeah. Like it's interesting to see how they use your software. Yeah. Any kind of testing is just testing. It's not real world. Yeah. Like, it's, production it's just is testing. always different. And yeah. hypotheses are just hypotheses. It's only when we get results back from our experiments that we can start to, you know, make some assumptions and see what that would actually happen. Mm, exactly. That scenario you were painting of like dealing with bird pictures uh, on a phone you would still want to take the photos that have been taken back and feed them back into the model. Yes. Yeah. And I I would think that's especially important because different phone cameras get different results. Like you want to tune more and more on the kinds of device, on the images from the devices that you're using. And that's, yeah, that is part of that, that kind of feedback loop of, um, and we found this, especially with mobile development in the past as well, where Mm -hmm. you can test on 35 different phones, but it's that, 36th phone that you don't test on that gives you a slightly different result but that's what people are using right I mean, similar kind of thing with with the uh models that you put into production um those models that are in production you may have tested them as much as you possibly can but you didn't test the real world like yes. the real production one well and, it, and there's this whole conversation about overfitting right that yes we're, yeah. we're over exercising the data and it's amazing on that data set it's just not that amazing on anything else that's exactly right and it's important to be able to identify when that's happening mm-hmm. i mean if you if you produce your model it performs really well in all of your tests but then in production it just doesn't perform well if you can't find out why or if yeah. you can't identify what is going on in production then you're not going to be able to, like, you're just guessing what the problem is. Well, and I've certainly had the experience over the years of, you know, you produce a report for business and it's inaccurate and business detects it's inaccurate and you sort of violate that trust. It's really hard to get it back. Mm. So I've got to think if you botch a machine learning model so that, yeah, we trained it at 99% results and then we put it out in the field and it's getting 70. Yeah. Like you're, you're going to damage that trust again. Exactly. And it, it actually hampers growth. One of the, one of the conversations I was having with the team, they gave me an example of, let's say you have a, a, a model that predicts a house price mm-hmm. based on a whole lot of different inputs and you've trained it on your local area because those are your current users. If you start getting people from a different area, using your system to try and predict their house prices. It's going to be incorrect because it's a different market. Right. And if you can't identify that quickly and fix that model or at least in tune that model to be able to give them decent results, they'll go away. This is one of the strongest arguments I've ever seen for the instrumentation side of DevOps. Because mm, you know, we often talk about this in software, but most of you just watching, are there errors occurring and so forth? We've debated monitoring utilization. How are people using features? What features are being used? That kind of thing. And that that's kind of clever, but it sounds absolutely vital in something like machine learning. Yeah. That you suddenly see customers come from a different area. That not that anything you probably metriced initially, but that that change of geography changes results in your system yep. to the negative. Yeah. And you want to catch that early and often and just go, okay, wait, you know, I don't, I'm not saying I want to block those guys. I'm just saying that this model is going to work for them. What do you want to do about it? Yes. And what you want to do may be much more than just including that data in your training as well. Right. Maybe you need to filter it right at the start and say, if they are from this area, then we need to run it through a different model because yes. that, that environment behaves significantly different than the one that we pre- we trained previously. And, and then it gets a bit more complicated. And at the same time, it's still an opportunity. You know? Oh, absolutely. Anytime yeah. I find that users are using my software differently than I thought, which is, by the way, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's also good news that you've detected it, but at least people, you know, the perfect software is the one nobody uses. 
So as long as you've got folks using it and pressing against it in different ways, you have this opportunity space to just go, oh, okay. You know, how are we going to respond to that? What what can we do with this new piece of knowledge? Yeah. And that instrumentation becomes a hundred percent, like it becomes the most important thing. Yeah. If you can't find out, if you, if you can't learn these things, you can't fix them. Well, you know, I feel like instrumentation is also the afterthought. Like we get the model done, we get the stuff built and it's like, get it out in the field and then, and then we'll measure it. Yeah. I don't think I want to deploy now. I think I actually want to sit down and say, what are we going to measure? Yep. How are we going to know we're right? Like this hypothesis has to get a lot more detailed, a lot more experiment detail to see. We should anticipate certain kinds of feedback, make sure we're capturing these things. Yeah. Like geography may never have entered into that model for the house pricing in the initial collection. Like imagine if you haven't, we're collecting that data. So yeah. you didn't even know you got the wrong people coming to your site. Yeah. Like you could really mess things up. Yep. Absolutely. And that, that kind of stuff needs to be thought of as early as possible in mm-hmm. that, in that process. Yeah. Before deployment. Before deployment. And ideally, even before you start writing that code. It should, well, you know, now, now my, my, my high school, you know, uh, experimentation training, right? The thing is, I did a lot of chemistry related stuff and you, my, my professor wanted me to write out in detail what the results of the reaction were going to be mm-hmm. before I was allowed to touch test tube. Yeah. Like you had to have really thought through what all of the outputs were going to be. Of course, because some of them involved big bangs, but you know, that's just me. (laughs) Uh, But to think of that from the software perspective, specifically of a machine learning perspective to say, this is the behavior we're going to need. And then pull it out that contrarian mind. What are all the things that can go wrong in this? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully somebody thinks of people come from somewhere else. Yes, exactly. It becomes a little bit, uh, machine learning can get a bit tricky as well because what's happening under the covers is quite often, especially with things like deep learning, mm-hmm. it's quite often hidden from you. I mean, yeah. you can follow your code through, but it's difficult to have that explainability of the, the model that you've produced to say, well, this is what contributed to the yeah, why did it get that bird right and that bird wrong exactly right? darpa's got this whole initiative about explainable ai yeah that yep. i'm watching very closely because the deep learning model is a black box it's yeah. really kind of hard to know why it got one wrong and the other one wrong it's a, and it can be a little bit easier or at least easier to envisage with um like tabular data mm-hmm, with, with mm-hmm. you know numbers and words and things like that yeah, stuff that's a bit more numerical yeah with images Particularly tricky, I gotta yeah, imagine. Very difficult. And it's not that it gets stuff right; it's when it gets stuff wrong, and you're like, "Why? Why? Like, why was that one wrong?" The real danger, as well, even with tabular data, is if you can't explain why um, the model came up with the result that it came up right. with. Um, people are using these things for very serious. Yeah, you're back to bur- bursting trust. Yeah, right, absolutely. All over again. But even even like um, if you apply for a loan at a bank. That bank is probably running all your data through a machine learn model, like through a predictive yes. model to determine whether they should give you a loan or not. Mm-hmm. If they can't explain why they didn't give you a loan, it's going to be very difficult for them to, you know, to, to justify that in the future or to sure. work out what they're even doing, I yes. guess. So. Absolutely. And Damien, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. If keeping up with the growing amount of security patches and managing complex Microsoft in-place upgrades are becoming a pain point within your IT department, Barramundi Management Suite is the solution. The Barramundi Management Suite gives you real-time lifecycle management of all network endpoints, from classic Windows and Mac to iOS and Android devices. Barramundi software automates the time-consuming tasks, including Windows migration, software installation, inventory, and backup. Whether you manage IT for a small company or a global corporation, Barramundi optimizes endpoint management, frees time for new projects, and reduces IT costs. 
Check out www.maramundisoftware.com to receive your Run As Radio 25% discount and for info on a 30-day trial. Just add in the comments section the code word podcast discount. And we're back. It's Run As Radio here at Ignite. This is Richard Campbell. I'm talking to Damian Brady, and we're talking a little bit about ML Ops and this machine learning landscape and how we've got to create a workflow for this. Is the ML ops model tied to the regular application deployment, do you, or do you see it done separately? Like, it's just more part of the same. Yeah, right. Right now, it's almost always very separate. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I think because they tend to be separate projects. Yeah, they do. Um, I guess aligning them um, can be a tricky thing, and it does depend very much on the project itself. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about um, what we were talking before about that kind of once-off, hey, parse all this data, give me a single report at the end of it and that's a once off. Mm-hmm. That report may live in an application as a as a resource for twelve months. Right. Right. So the cadence is obviously not going to be we would need to update this model every every week when mm-hmm. we do a new, do a new deployment. But something like a recommendations engine, you'd probably want that cadence to be quite quick and in fact much faster ideally than the software development. Well if marketing doesn't understand that if we don't redo the model, the new product's just never going to get recommended. Mm-hmm. Like that you would hope that a marketing person is like, you guys are going to redo the models, right, yes. for the new product. But, of course, you need some data of some purchases yep. before this is going to recommend anything anyway. Yeah, so. absolutely. And that, I guess having those two things a little bit independent um, means that you can deploy them, I guess, independently, especially mm-hmm. if you have a kind of a portable, isolated model. If you think about it almost like as a microservice or a, or a um, resource that the application uses. Mm-hmm then it can have its own cadence and it can have its own deployment cycle. Um, if you're updating your recommendation, recommendations engine on a weekly basis, but you only do your software deployment every three weeks, right. like you need to be able to deploy that model every week. You know, you, but in a lot of ways, that model is just a chunk of data. Yeah. Right? You, yep. you, the, the API call is still the same. What's my recommendations based on the shopping cart or this set of behaviors? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the more you can separate that into a, into a thing that's, that's isolated. I know, I know one of the things that um, uh, a lot of organizations are pushing towards is just having that model wrapped in a Docker container that just lives somewhere. Right. That way it gives you explainability, sorry, mm-hmm. it gives you uh, scalability yeah. and it gives you a bit of dependency and stability and all of those kind of things that, that containers can give you. I think it's just an API call. Where yeah. it goes is sort of separate to the problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it lives almost as, a, as its own kind and of microservice. You would hope that they architect it that way so that you can have this independence. Yes, definitely. But of course, if you've got like a mobile app taking photos of birds, you right. need to be able to embed that in that. Yeah, how are we pushing that device? Yeah. And that's yeah, exactly its own right. set of challenges. Ho- hockey app, anyone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there are tools out there, right? I mean, part of, if we're owning the deployment problem, and, and we often are, it's like we need to figure out what are these tools, how we push them out. What are we pushing? Like the recommendation engine, it's got to go to the device. They're, even the compact ones are not that small. No. And they can be quite computationally intensive, even mm-hmm. just to run through, like run a, a piece of data through that model to find out, to get a prediction. Right. Um, they can be, for particularly deep and complex models, they can be computationally expensive. So, right. how do you scale that? Yeah. How do you have a model that's small enough to run fast enough to provide value still? You're exercising the GPU in that phone. You're making the phone hot. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and I mean, these, these are problems that people much smarter than me have been addressing. Yeah. I mean, there's... 
there's some great little little apps that you can get, and I'm, the name is escaping me right now. Um, for your phone, where you just point your phone around, and it'll identify 30 different things in the in the yeah, camera the, at real time. Yeah, it, uh, Google's got a built-in app that's sort of like, what is this kind of thing? And yeah. you literally hold the camera still long enough, and it sort of sparkles for a moment, and then it starts identifying stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, living in British Columbia, yep. uh, really good at identifying mushrooms. Oh, really? Yeah, we were pointing. Of course, we have. We have very toxic mushrooms too. It's like generally the answer is don't pick the mushroom. Yeah. But it's been yeah, that piece of software just we were pointing it at mushrooms in a forest and it was spitting them out. That's this one. That's this one. That's pretty good. I, you know, I don't actually know if it was correct because I didn't try any of them. <laughs> yeah. No, I it's think like, that's probably why. Yeah. No, it's like the consequences of being wrong are a lot more than a bug report. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. I mean, I come from Australia. You don't eat anything. That's, <laughs> yeah. No, near as I can tell, you don't go outside. Yeah. yeah and you right. got to shake out your shoes and it's like, all of that stuff. Yep. <laughs> all that stuff is true. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. You never put your shoes on without, without, without shaking them out first. a shake first. You yeah. just need to know. Yes. Like, those, exactly. those spiders like the dank end of your shoe. Yes. You definitely don't want to do experiment-driven stuff with, with that. <laughs> Stick your phone in there and take a picture. What's in my shoe? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And am I safe or not? <laughs> Different cultures, right? At the same time, I always play the video clip of the bear walking through my backyard. The you know, Aussies yeah. go nuts. Yeah, that, I'm not. I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I don't think. <laughs> that said, we have snakes in the trees, like just around our house. So. Uh, most, most, I, I encountered a brown on a trail once. I've never seen such an aggressive snake in my life. We ran from that snake. It was chasing us. It yeah. wasn't enough to scare us off. I'm used to rattlers where they're like, "Hey, get away! When you get away, you're fine." Nope, that brown wanted us. Yeah, he was angry. Yes. Yeah, they're not good. They're those not ones. good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so we we mentioned a few tools right off the bat here: Auto ML and the machine learning studios and the, the custom vision APIs. Uh, is there anything more on the sort of DevOps tooling side? Is Azure DevOps play in this arena? Is that part of the product stack for making this successful? It can, yeah, it can be. So there's there's kind of two parts to it. I think mm-hmm. there's the training itself and and all of that kind of training run experimentation right stuff. That's machine learning studio that's this is yeah. their domicile so that's um the agile azure machine learning is the is the kind of um Over- name for it, overarching yeah. name and there's an azure machine learning uh, studio which is the ui which is ml.azure.com right um and it gives you access to a whole bunch of stuff including auto ml and a few other tools like that but more importantly it gives you um access to a tool that knows about the process of machine learning. Right. So you have things like a, a training pipeline or a, a pipeline that's defined as here are the steps that you need to run to train this model. And that's a first-class citizen in this product. Sure. Models themselves are um, registered models and will keep versions of those models so that you can identify, well, this model was trained on this data set and it was it contains this um, set of hyperparameters and this these metrics as we trained it. And you can see... You know, how these different things performed. Um, you can deploy them directly from there to Azure Container Instances or AKS if you want. It mm-hmm. knows how to wrap, wrap most of those models up. Um, things like experiment runs. Uh, but more importantly as well, uh, compute, like managed compute and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you create a training run, you can say, I want you to use this managed compute, which is potentially like a very GPU-heavy um, pool of VMs uh, that the tool will scale up and scale down as you need it right. as well. So you can say, you know, I need this really, really beastie hardware to run this thing, but when I'm not running an experiment, scale it down to zero. Sure, and again, cloud is brilliant for this, right? Exactly. Yeah, you don't need to have that. that you don't, you don't want to own machine. that tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So they'll scale up during a st- uh, during a training run, scale mm-hmm. back down when it's done. And an operating model is a heck of a lot less in comp- competition standards than training one. Yes, definitely. And so that part is all about you know training the model. And for very large data sets and and very large complex models, those training runs may take you know weeks potentially. Wow. With petabytes of data. Um, Can I just keep scaling it up to shorten the time frame up? As long as you have the money, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess there's a balance well, here between you know because run time matters too. Like, is it cheaper to run? two hours at one unit or one hour at two units. Yeah, and you can scale right down there. You can use things like uh, low-priority compute. Right. So, kind of spare machines that we have sitting in data right. centers. So you guys will give us a discount if you can stop it when you have high-priority stuff to be done. Yeah. And then when there's nothing using it, you'll give me a discount on yeah. it. So, I can save money in that respect. You can. But then I can't set a deadline for when I'm going to get something. Exactly. Yeah. And and there are some projects. Um, uh, speaking to somebody from the DevOps Cat team who's been working with a car company on um, uh, auto-driving cars. Right. And the cars themselves collect terabytes like tens of terabytes of data every single day right. yeah and so those, all those cameras yeah exactly all those cameras all of that stuff so they put they put that data in a box on them in the car and then mm-hmm. they upload it to the cloud via mail kind of thing right so they uh they can't do a training run like um very quickly without spending a lot of money sure so they have to make that balance you know yeah. are we going to spend less money and take a little bit longer to train that model um or are they going to, you know, spend a ton of money and try to get it out as quickly as yeah. possible? I just don't. I mean, I again, if it's low priority, that's that's true. But often it's still this mix of the, you may you may not cost that much more to go shorter. And, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And so that's one side of it. That's yeah. the training the model. Now you've made the model. Now you put it out in the field. Now yeah. I think the full first half of the show is like, listen, you need to instrument this. Yes. Yeah. Is there, is there tooling for that? Is this stuff we just have to get the devs to roll? Uh, so I think. The existing tools that you might use for the software development stuff like um, App Insights and so on, you mm-hmm. can still create um, funnels and predictions and things like that. Um, uh, Azure Machine Learning has this idea of data sets, which are known data sets, and you can have your training data set, which you train your model on, and your inference data set, which is what we're doing our inferencing on. So, right. this is what we this is the data in the real world that we ran through the model Um and it, we can do data drift on those two and things like that. So, right. that's one way of kind of getting it. That's kind of... Um, so, I could build this into a workflow that every day I'm grabbing this day's sales data and recommendation engines, running it against running it through these trials and saying, what's my drift like? Yeah, exactly. And so, I've got right. a dashboard that's telling me day over day how we're drifting. Yes. Sort of can pull the trigger on. It's time to rebuild the model. Yeah, definitely. But some sometimes, you know, maybe that's not the way you want to handle it. Maybe mm-hmm. you want to retrain based on... Um, something external, like if you're selling a particular product and there's some announcement from a competitor, maybe you want to retrain the model to redirect, you know, the, the around that. that you have around yeah. that. And so you might want to know about things like that externally. Obviously, you probably can't automate that kind of thing. No, but I think it's part of you. You know, we still can do something here, right? Yeah, there exactly. is a job of reading the paper and sort of looking at what's going on in the world, and saying how, how could I modify my model to take advantage of this. Yeah, exactly right. So I think the existing instrumentation tools can go a certain distance. Um, you could even, especially because we have this this almost black box where. Stuff comes in and then it goes, we get a result out and we want to know how successful that result is yes. in the aggregate. It's almost like 
the, it's the sales marketing pipeline, mm-hmm. right? So looking at, at funnels and using those kinds of tools to work out, hey, is this model actually performing sure. well just keeping, to metrics? Just making sure we keep a record of what we recommended to that person and whether or not it landed in their cart. Yeah. Like, I don't see any way to get around. That's got to be a requirement in the development plan. Yeah, so yeah, I need right. to know what you pulled. But if they actually pick stuff from the uh, from the recommendation engine, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so they bought it. Yes, yeah. So it, like we were saying before, if they put it in the cart but nobody Never, ever buys don't it, pull a trigger. Yeah, yeah. Then that model is not not providing the value that we want. Yeah. So all of that stuff to close that loop. I think the existing tooling exists. I don't think we need anything special for machine learning specifically on the front side. On the front side, it's the instrumentation. It sounds like yeah. that, that uh, if I'm responsible for the data science, this we're kind of developing a project like this. I have to sit with devs and work through the requirements a bit. Yep. Say how are we going to measure success? Yes, you know what's the kind of what kind of instrumentation is going to be there, and that's going to be some hypothesis too about what measurements make sense. And as well as um, how do we measure success if we need to change things? Sure, is there more information that we might need from? from what's running in production. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we have a hypothesis that there's an extra piece of information that would be useful for training this model, we should need to work with the devs early to say, well, can we collect this piece of information as yeah. well? Otherwise, you, you know how to solve the problem, but you don't have the resources I don't have to the solve data. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have a tendency to want to collect all the data, although more and more I'm seeing really well-trained models where the data set is simpler than you think. Mm, yeah. Uh, the amount of... Um, Success that vision recognition systems have had with black and white and reduced contrast and, and high contrast and low resolution images versus, you know, feeding it 24 bit color, 1080p, yep. you know, graphics. Like, I, I don't know where you fall on this. I just, I find it fascinating not being an expert in it, just mm. watching, you know, where people are having success. Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert in it either, but, but most of those models, I mean, um, I think even if you go to the custom vision AI, when you upload an image, mm-hmm. it gets downsampled to, I don't even know, I think it's like at most 512 by 512 right. pixels. So it'll still do a pretty good job with, with something like, like that. Um, and it's using a much, much smaller image. I think sure. the way that it sees something in, in an image is just very different than the way that we see something right. in an image. So it's kind of difficult to, to align it with, you know, with human thinking. Well, and again, we get back to this, why didn't it get that right? It's like, well, what was it actually looking at? Yeah, and it's, it's pretty pretty difficult to tell what it's actually looking yeah. at. Um, there's a really cool tool. Um, I think it's uh, TensorFlow Workbench, or, or oh, I need to find the name of it. Um, but it's it's part of the TensorFlow.org, and it's just like a little, a little example of how this all fits together. And you can see... Um, as it's training, as it's going through these different layers, what it's doing and, and, and the, what the algorithm is telling it to do to, to kind of classify these two sections. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll get the, the link for you as well. Sure. But it's, it's kind of cool just to see what happens as it's working through that training. Yeah. Um, but that's a super simple. It's like, where are the red dots and where are the blue dots? Mm-hmm. Um, extending that to... How do we work out whether it's a bird in a picture? Is right. uh, that's an extra stretch? That's like, that old XKCD uh, uh, yeah. comic, right? The guy saying, "Hey, I want to know if this picture is taken at a park." And yes, he's like yeah, oh, well, that's GIS data. I'll have that done in, a, in an afternoon. And if there's any pictures of a bird in it, yep. it's like, all right, I'll need a team of thirty in ten years. And, and <laughs> at the time, that was kind of true. And yes. you fast forward, was it maybe four years? Four and years. And now you search like, in your gallery on your phone for birds, <laughs> birds, and it's got it, and it's got them. Yeah. Oh, Google's regu- regularly 
organizing pictures of my dog yeah. and putting them together in little collages. It's it's very useful, but also mildly disturbing. A little creepy. A little yeah. creepy, yeah. yeah. But I think it's always a challenge with this particular set of technology that you're going to dip into that sort of uncanny valley of machine intelligence that yeah. makes everyone a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, there's there's a kind of an ethics component to it as well, which which sometimes gets overlooked. I mean, you, just because you can do something, should you be doing yes. it? And, it, and in, I think a part of that experiment design and results design, you've got to have that ethics conversation too. Oh, yeah. Are we invading people's privacy? Are, is, is, is this, does this compatible with the value set of this organization? Mm-hmm. Like, those are good questions to ask. And, yeah. I, and I hate that we put that at the end of the show. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, but it's, but it's still the truth. It's, a, a, you know, for me coming out of this conversation, it's really like, wow, if we're going to start using machine learning and things i need to involve the devs we need this deeper experimental design and yeah we got to have an ethics conversation as well yeah absolutely i mean all the examples i think we've produced so far the examples we're talking about are pretty ethically simple i think so yeah uh, you know you can get into trouble yes yeah Yeah, it's, it's out there uh, Damien, always a pleasure to talk to you. I think it's the first time on Run As. We've had you on Donna Rocks a few times. Yeah, it is. Thanks for coming to talk. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, you bet. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.